Our scripture today uh, in the bulletin is Mark five fourteen to 20, but I'm actually going to read most of chapter uh, 5 from the Gospel of Mark, uh, just so we get the context of what's happening. Uh, the sermon, the message is really from uh, Mark five fourteen to 20, but the whole story is important for us to understand. Uh, so if you would please read along with me. Mark five fourteen to 20 says this. Mark 5, 1 to 20 says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he responded, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they, came, <clears throat> when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This was the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Miracles tend to attract attention. When Jesus healed the paralytic earlier in his ministry, the crowds declared, we've never seen anything like this. When he commanded the winds and the waves to be, and, uh, and waves to be still, the amazed disciples wondered, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? When God displays his power in the world, people usually notice The miracle Mark records here, however, attracts even more attention due to the unusual events surrounding this one man's deliverance. After traveling across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man uh, not with just one, but many demons controlling him. These demons identify themselves as legion, which is an indistinct measurement that indicates a countless multitude. Uh, If you notice how many pigs run into the sea, over 2,000. But they immediately recognize Jesus as a son of God. 
Displaying careless disregard for their host, these demons had taken over every part of what made this man human. They tortured him from the inside out so completely, the community in which he lived banished him to the tombs outside the city to live alone. Jesus, however, when he, uh, he met this man, saw the person trapped underneath, and he demanded the demons leave him at once. With the permission of Jesus, the demons entered a herd of pigs, and then they ran off a cliff and drowned in the sea. The man, of course, found instant relief, free from a burden that he'd not been able uh, to even articulate, abandoned by everybody that he might once have loved or even known. But the people who owned the pigs were understandably a little bit upset, maybe even alarmed, maybe even outraged. The herdsmen run from the scene back into town to tell everybody what's going on. And soon people arrive to confront the person responsible and decide for themselves whether this was more of a miracle or a disaster. Because at this point, they didn't quite know what it was. From the people's perspective, three details make this miracle seem less like a display of grace and more of a display of terrifying unknown power. So the first is this, the healed man had been a source of fear and frustration for the entire town. Mark 5, uh, 5 tells us that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. People tried to help, but no one ever could. Uh, it says uh, in uh, verses 3 and 4, no one could bind him, not even with a chain, for he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. The town abandoned him, not because they didn't care, but because they didn't know how to help. He was beyond their control. In fact, he seemed beyond restoration. And so his presence in the town, even outside among the tombs, literally haunted their entire community. He was like a living ghost. Second, the man that they had come to view as irredeemable had now been completely restored by Jesus, and this alarmed them. Mark 5.15 tells us Jesus reversed the major signs of possession. Everything that says this man was possessed by demons is completely gone. Uh, so instead of erratic behavior, he was sitting in one place speaking with Jesus and the disciples. No longer naked, but he was clothed. Most striking of all was that he was sitting before Jesus in his right mind. Seeing him in this way shattered the people's comprehension of what was and was not possible. Their categories, their understanding of the world were fixed. Someone who is possessed cannot be restored. It was outside their understanding. But if he could become whole again, then their entire view of the world, of how the universe worked, might be flawed. Anything might be possible with this uh, Jesus, this young rabbi who had just started his ministry. And on one level, that meant that nothing in their life was really safe. Jesus was an unknown person of immense, and sometimes it seemed, at least to the herdsmen, terrible power. Third, the pigs running off a cliff into the sea, pushed this miracle into dangerous horror movie territory, okay? So we look at this story from, uh, we know who Jesus is. We know that he is saving uh, this man. But if you were a herdsman and this was happening, 
and you know that there were demons around, this would strike you with fear. Look at it from their perspective. They hadn't just lost their livelihood in a sort of terrible way, but they couldn't really salvage the death of their animals either. They had lost a big portion of what made them, uh, you know, of their jobs. Lost at sea or demonic mass suicide was not a box that you could check on the form at the local insurance agency, right? It just didn't happen. You said, well, it's not really my fault. These demons came in. It was confusing and terrifying. And this was a disaster directly connected to Jesus, someone who moves with immense power in unpredictable ways. No matter the positive effects of this miracle, uh, that this man was saved, the people saw Jesus less as a savior and more of a, a troublemaker. Imagine what Jesus could do to their town. Imagine what he might do to their friends and family, maybe even themselves. What other terrors might he unleash on their community? The prospect of Jesus wielding that kind of power in their region terrified them. And to be honest, their fear makes a certain amount of sense. No sooner had Jesus stepped foot on the shore of their land than alarming things began to happen. Something divine had appeared in their native country without warning. What if he was a prophet sent to condemn the people and this was just the first sign? What if he was an an angel of the Lord who brought not good news but judgment and destruction? Uh, If they had, uh, you know, in the Jewish history, those things happened. Would this Jesus hold them accountable for abandoning this man in the ruins? The power Jesus displayed was extraordinary, yes, but it was also dangerous. So in Mark 5, 17, the people began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Please, please leave. Go away before something even more frightening and unexpected happens. Notice here the odd formality of their request. Why would they bother asking Jesus to leave? Why wouldn't they just run him out? That happens in other places uh, in the Gospels. They could have run him out of town, but instead they beg him, please leave us alone. But their politeness betrays their fear. Echoing the demon's question from earlier, what do you want with us? What do you want with us, Jesus? Having seen the power of Jesus firsthand, they understood that his continued presence would eventually upset, maybe disrupt, maybe even transform their entire world. But their request revealed that they didn't actually have the whole picture. They recognized his power, but failed to understand his identity, what he stood for, and who he represented. The demons knew Jesus was a son of God, but the people viewed him as a suspect instead of a savior, failing to grasp his love. But for the one man who lived apart, tortured by demons, where every day was hell and no hope could be found, the presence of Christ had the opposite effect. Instead of fear, this man found hope. Instead of uncertainty, he found peace. If the people had bothered to ask, he would have said something like what C.S. Lewis writes in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about Aslan, the godlike figure of Narnia who happened to be a lion. Uh, This is the line. Safe. Who said anything about safe? 
Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Unlike the people, the man possessed by demons understood both the power and the love of God. Because he'd been given a foretaste of what we all find at the cross. The spirit of God always disrupts and unsettles when he changes us. But he does so for the benefit of his children. This man could not have saved himself. And so he knew when he woke up free from these demons that Jesus had saved him. And yet despite the contrast in their understanding, the people who begged Jesus to leave had more in common with a possessed man than they realized. Both, both the man and the people were enslaved to something that separated their hearts from their creator. Both were really unaware of their need for rescue until Jesus entered their region. And both needed someone else to save them. On one level, the possessed man's imprisonment helped him recognize the spiritual reality of his own soul, his own spiritual condition, more easily than the people in the town. The man understood his need for a savior, but the crowd didn't. And you know what? Sadly, it's all too easy to take on the attitude of the crowd. Afraid of God's power to transform and blind to our need for a savior, we run from God when he shows up in our lives. We run when God shows himself to us, afraid of what he might do, because sin has convinced us that everything is all right that we're doing fine on our own, that we have everything sorted out, that we don't need this creator and savior and Lord to interrupt our own lives. We run from the one person who wants to deliver us from death and plant in us abundant life. Sin prevents us from understanding how far we really are from God and how deeply we've strayed from what is good and lovely and true. Our sin would have us dwell in shadowy opposition to, to our Lord, and capable of recognizing truth and love, keeping us ignorant to the abundant life found in grace. Without intervention, our perception is obscured by mist and fog. Unable to see the light, sin renders us incapable of moving toward the Father, prompting us to stumble away rather than move toward our own salvation. When God shows up in our lives in power, we go, why are you here? Could you please leave? This is not a convenient time. Uh, there's a whole lot that we'd have to change if we really want to follow you. Just like Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden with no way back, our sin keeps us from walking the path to salvation. To be saved, we must not only be helped, we have to be carried home, much like Peter is carried back to the boat after his attempt to approach Jesus on the turbulent waves. James Boyce, a Bible scholar from last century, describes the, the struggle against sin like this. We are dying people living among dead people. For life apart from Jesus is a graveyard. Just like this man living in the tombs. There is no natural hope of being saved, he writes, unless Jesus comes, which is exactly what he does for each of us. This one man's deliverance is extended to all of us in Jesus. The cross reveals 
our spiritual condition. That even if we don't recognize the danger, we are all sinners in need of rescue. On our own, our life might be very good, but it would not be what it is designed to be in Jesus. The cross also declares that our rescue has already come in Jesus. John Newton simplified the dual revelation of, of what we find in Jesus like this. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieve. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit remakes our hearts, freeing us to look at God's movement in this world with joy rather than terror, with hope rather than confusion. Most of the time, we ask the same question the demons asked Jesus, or we echo the crowd and beg Jesus to leave us alone. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his letters that most of us are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, but we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. But our God actually does arrive in this world to change everything about us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies this man and is waiting to sanctify the crowd if they can only let him in. He will tear down every wall that we have put up that separates us from himself and the life he offers so we might so he might move into the center of our soul and make us new. He will crush every idol we accidentally worship so our souls might know what it means to be free. Jesus delivers us on the cross, but the Spirit sanctifies us, changes us, transforms us from the inside out. When the Holy Spirit removes the sin that strangles our souls, we learn how to let go of selfish envy and frustration and release anger and malice. We learn how to allow hope to conquer our discouragement and despair. We learn what it means to really love. The grace we receive here The grace we receive in Jesus, however, is meant to be shared with others, which is what Jesus asked the man to do in Mark 5. Now, I think this is profound because who better suited to preach to those afraid of God's movement than the man who did not know his salvation stood before him until he'd awoken and seen his Savior face to face? The demon-possessed man understood what it meant to be free. He understood that when God moves, it is always for our benefit, always for our good and for his glory. We are commanded to do the same in our own lives in three distinct ways. So first, we have to tell our story to the people we know. Jesus uh, instructs the man to, to share his story not with great crowds or on street corners. He doesn't send him to become a missionary Uh, But with the people God placed in his life, he says, uh, uh, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Our first audience as Christians, as believers, ought to be our family and friends followed by the people that we see on a regular basis. So do we do you interact with the same cashier at the grocery store or leave for work at the same time of as your neighbors? Are you cutting the grass when your neighbor is cutting his grass? 
Those are the people with whom we should be sharing our faith, the people that we encounter on a regular basis. A fair way to measure how you're doing is ask how many people in your life know that you, as an individual, believe in Jesus. Are there people in your life who would be surprised that you know or love the Lord? If you've ever had a conversation with them about faith. Second, we must specifically share how our God has had mercy on us. Now, this might be a little harder because we have to reveal something a little bit personal. We have to be vulnerable and share how God has rescued us. But God and Jesus commands us to be specific. The world is full of people who have heard how God generally loves them, how God generically loves everyone, right? But they have not heard the story of how God has uniquely loved and saved and moved in you. Your story is one of a kind. There's no one else. There's no other story like it. It is uniquely specific to you, and it is up to you to share that with the world. Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist from uh, the late 19th century, says it this way, I do not know anything that would wake the world up better than for every man and woman here who loves him to begin to talk about him to their friends and tell them what he has done for you. You've got a circle of friends. Go and tell them about Jesus. Third, the miracle of our restoration is meant to be shared by every believer who professes faith in Jesus. This is not something that Jesus tells only the disciples or only the apostles. He says this to everyone. He tells uh, he directs this man to do this. Okay, this man had been possessed by a demon for a long time before this moment. He didn't have resources. He didn't have any connections. All he had was his story. But our lives are the greatest proof of God's grace in this world because just like that man, we too have been changed. We too have been transformed and restored by the spirit who moves in us. We are different One of the reasons we are sitting here today, this morning, is because Jesus saved us. And the Spirit keeps changing us from the inside out. Once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were blind, but now we can see. If our life has been touched by God, claimed by Jesus, and restored to the Holy Spirit, then just like the man who has been possessed, you are a walking miracle. So be ready to tell your story because miracles attract attention. And if we're if we get right down to it, we are each a miracle because each of us has been touched and saved by Jesus. Each of us is being transformed and changed by our Lord. So we need to be ready to tell our story because miracles attract attention. Miracles attract attention, and when the Spirit sanctifies and turns sinners like you and me into people that resemble saints, the world takes notice. Hallelujah. Amen.